0: Good evening, Airmen of Troy. Welcome to another episode of Sound Off, Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy, where our mission is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Randolph.
1: And I'm Cadet Katia
0: And today's guests are Captain Gent and Captain Caballero. How are you?
1: Good,
2: how are you guys? It's
0: it's another wonderful Air Force day. We're doing outstanding. You are the first people we've had two officers at the same time. So this is a little new for us, but we're really excited.
3: I'm excited too. Me too. One because, yeah, one because I think we can offer perspective, not from a rated point of view. And two, we're from the same graduating class. So sorry if if we're going to get a little rambunctious here. Keep it professional there.
2: Keep it professional.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We love to see it. All right. So, starting off, um, would you mind going into a little bit about yourself, some background, where you're from?
2: Daphne, yeah, you go first.
0: Okay. So, I'm Captain Daphne Caballero. Caballero.
3: Um, I'm from. So, I'm a military brat. I was born in Japan, lived a little bit in the Philippines, but mostly grew up in California, and then that's where I went to Cal State Fullerton, but crossed down, but went cross down to USC. And that's where I met Captain Gent. And now I'm a maintenance officer and it's been a wild ride. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that was it. That was my intro.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, I am Captain Jeanette Gent, formerly Jeanette D. um, For those who didn't know that my name changed. Um, I grew up in Southern California between Orange County and a little bit of Los Angeles, I got my degree at a Cal State LA in mechanical engineering. And I was also a crosstowner um, at USC with, with Daphne. And now I am a CE officer. So I work for the CE squadron over at Anderson right now.
1: All right, um, that's great. Um, Captain Gent. for you. What were the motivating factors that led you to join ROTC at our detachment?
2: Um, honestly, what motivated me to join ROTC in general um, was I wasn't sure if I was doing quite so well in engineering school. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I set myself up with a good job, a good career as soon as I graduated My dad was in the military, he was a security forces. And so I talked to him about potentially joining. He told me you're either going officer, you're not going at all. Um, So I threw a me sized tantrum and found my first detachment that would answer my call. And I joined um, USC's detachment. So that was all she wrote.
0: Did you join as a 100 ma'am or did you join as a 250 or a spring 100?
2: I was a spring 100.
0: Me as well. Me as well. Yep. And then wow. Catherine Caballero, how about yourself?
3: So one, they were they were the first to grab me.
0: <laughs> and <laughs>
3: so I, I knew I wanted to do go the ROTC route when it came to commissioning because I thought I could get that that life balance of, hey, I'm going to normal college, but still get, getting my military training done at the same time. And then a uh, similar background to Captain Jen, um, my dad was enlisted guy for 20 years and just kind of, hey, uh, you should go officer. That was kind of planted into my brain. Also, um, the military is how my family got to the U.S. So, you know, just trying to pay it forward so that's why that's why I joined
0: it's funny both you say that because my dad was also enlisted and I grew up in military brat and he also <laughs> said if you're going to go in go in as an officer that was yeah <laughs> that was his number one thing and so I think it's ironic that three people here can okay, I cast Michaela
1: <laughs> unfortunately not I am actually the first person in my immediate family to be in the military so Besides, my grandpa was in the Navy, but no, that's my grandpa. So
0: you're paving away. You could be the first, but <laughs> maybe not the last.
1: Hopefully not. Hopefully not. We'll
0: see. So, what's the story behind you two meeting each other for the first time at the detachment? Do you remember?
3: Oh, gosh. I do not remember. <laughs> I don't remember, but I probably went something like, hey, there's someone that looks like me. <laughs>
2: I wonder if, did we meet through Anthony? Oh, I think we, I did. Think we did.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: yeah.
2: So um, we were friends with another with another cadet who ended up commissioning a year ahead of us. And yes. um, we were really, really close to him. We, like, he and I met at PT one random day. I think we just walked together after PT and we're like, okay, I guess we're besties now. Um, And I think he introduced me to you, but I don't remember how that went.
3: It's been so long.
2: It has, we've been out of the game, the the Razzi game for a hot minute, it feels like. I know,
3: yeah.
0: It has been a long time. How long ago was it, six years
2: now? Six Six years. years.
0: Yeah. Has time time gone by? It has, for me.
3: It's dragged on, yet um, flew by at the same time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds about right. Some years are slower than others.
0: So you may not remember your first interaction, but do you remember, what's the most memorable thing that you remember between the two of you at the detachment? Well,
3: we went through Arnold Air together, so definitely a lot of long nights together. Um, Wingding... Remember that oh when, we made, when we made fun of Z-Bart and Lay.
2: <laughs> that was scary. in our Wingding
3: video? <laughs> that was awesome.
2: Yeah. Wingdings were <laughs> over fun. Um, What was it? Honor Guard. We did quite a bit of oh, yeah. Honor Guard together.
3: Um, we'll send this to you, but we got a really cool picture of us mm-hmm. in the Coliseum yeah. with an F-16 flyover.
2: Yes. Was that it's the one really where it was cool. all girls?
3: No, um, Seo was in it.
2: Oh,
1: he just had to ruin it, didn't he? (laughs) Oh, so you both were in the honor guard? Is that correct? Yeah.
3: How was that? We did a lot of. Oh, it was awesome. It was so fun. Yeah. Just being down there in the field during the game was great.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think for the most part, we had a really good team. Even like the the people that rotated out um from from the usuals uh, we were all pretty well
3: synced up I think and we competed in Skiddum as well
0: oh you competed in skidham so oh, uh, we have transitioned to um USC we don't compete in Skidem per se we host skidham I'm not sure if you did that in the past
2: yeah, so we normally host it. Um, I think that was one of the few years we had actually decided to compete in it, to try and compete in it. Um, for the most part, we we just stayed out of of actually competing in Skiddum since we were always so busy hosting it. Okay. But I think that one year happened to be, like, we were getting a lot of, we were getting a lot of notice, like, around the school and around other, like, veteran organizations. I know one time we did... Um, like a Veterans Day event close to Staples Center. I think it was, it was like that hotel near, near Staples Center. And we did like some veterans event. Um, so we were starting to get a lot of recognition and our cadre thought it would be a good idea to actually have us compete and see kind of how we ranked against other schools just just to kind of see where, where we fell against other schools and how
3: good
0: yeah. we were. And we
3: did Disneyland too. That was fun. Oh,
2: that was my favorite.
0: <laughs> that was cool. That does sound like a really sweet opportunity. We have not been able to do that since I've been here, but we still do host Skidum. I'm not sure about this year because of COVID, mm-hmm. but uh, we have hosted Skidum every year that I've been at the detachment and it's a lot of fun, a lot yep. of fun.
2: That's USC's big thing every year, I think, Yeah,
0: I think so too. All right. So moving into, Armin I mean, you've already moved into ROTC life a little bit. But um, some more leadership questions regarding ROTC life. Um, do you feel like your time at Detachment 60 has helped you become a better officer after commissioning? And if you could give some examples on that.
3: Uh, so I think, hey, yeah, you um, as an officer, you know, you want to get to know your troops. You want to not be behind your desk 24/7. But you know, there's going to be times where you are going to be stuck behind your desk just because that's the nature of your job. You're an officer. (laughs) But um, I think when we went through, we had a commander who really hounded on our writing skills. And that is a way to lead when you're stuck behind your desk, you can recognize your people for awards. You can write their decorations. You can recommend someone for, for, um, OTS, ROTC, or the academy. So I think the writing skills definitely help with my leadership.
0: Have you if been I, able to do that recently or a lot?
3: Uh, yes, I've written a few letters of recs for um, enlisted that want to go officer. Uh, there was one time where I was, my, it was my first base, uh, me and my chief, me and my, my flight chief, we swept the quarterlies for the squadron. So it's like, hey, airman of the quarter, NCO of the quarter, senior NCO, and then
0: CGO. It was all us, baby. (laughs) How about you, Captain Jen?
2: So I would say, I'd say, yeah. Uh, My experience in USC, at, at USC's ROTC definitely helped Um, shape me as a leader, but I would say not necessarily in a traditional kind of way. So one thing about um, my ROTC experience was I was usually, what, Daph, like bottom, top of the bottom third at best, maybe bottom of the middle third of the pack. Um, And it before I used to take it personally because I thought it was something against myself. Um, But in reality, I look back on it now And really, our class just had a lot of hard drivers, right? And um, what it taught me was that just because I didn't necessarily fit into the mold of what they were teaching us at ROTC, um, you know, to to stand out and be that in-your-face kind of leader, be that hard driver, just because I didn't necessarily fit that mold exactly does not mean... Did not mean that I wasn't going to make it in the Air Force. Um, it also taught me a lot of tenacity. Uh, there are a lot of times where both Daphne and I, we got told no. Um, yeah. we didn't make it into field training the first time. That was freaking heartbreaking. Um it was, heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking. <laughs> um, but here we are, uh six years post-commissioning, and we've made it. We've we've um we've done a lot of good work in our careers so far. So just because you don't Quite fit the mold of what they're teaching you at at Det 60 or any detachment. Rather, doesn't mean that you're not fit for the Air Force. It it's really all going to depend on your class and um, your class's personality. Our class's personality just happened to be filled with a lot of operators, so that's Mm -hmm. how our lesson plans were geared, um, and that's how our class was treated. We were all treated like we were all going to become operators. So I think it really opened my eyes and made me more accepting of the fact that I didn't fit the mold in our class in ROTC. And maybe that's why I was perceived to be not doing as well. But now that I'm in a mission support role, I do
1: fine.
2: I do great. I'm really good at my job, I think. Right.
1: Wow, um, that's fantastic. And one more question for you, Captain get So do you have any advice for cadets who kind of feel how you felt that they don't really fit the mold that they're at the lower end of the spectrum? or ranking, I guess, of all the other cadets. Do you have any advice for them? Don't let it get you
2: down. Keep driving. Keep getting yourself noticed. Sometimes, unfortunately, you just kind of have to play the game. That's that's usually what it turns into when you're in a tough situation that you're uncomfortable with. But at the end of the day, if you keep pushing through it, you keep persevering, and um, you grow in your tenaciousness, it's, it's only going to help you in the long run, and, and you'll get there right like it all you have to do is make it to commissioning because the moment you commission no one's going to care at that point how you ranked in your ROTC class after you've gotten your jobs and you've gotten your bases and you've gotten your commission when you show up to your first squadron they're not going to ask you how did you rank in your ROTC detachment like how did you rank in your ROTC class nobody cares right so Do what you have to do to play the game and get noticed and get to commissioning. And after that, it's all going to change. It's going to be a whole different ballgame. You have to think of it like, you know, when you're in high school and you think everything that surrounds you in high school is such a huge deal and you get to college and you're like, high school is trivial, right? High school was, was just child's play compared to the college game. Well, it's the same thing after you commission. So yeah, play by the rules, play the game if you have to. Um, do what you need to to commission because the ROTC detachment's opinion of you is not going to be the only opinion that you're going to receive. And it's not going to be the last opinion that you're going to receive. So just keep trying your best, keep pushing. So.
0: At any point in either of your ROTC careers, did you feel like you lost motivation or lost drive? Because you said you both didn't get accepted to go to field training the first time. And I can imagine that would be extremely discouraging. So for those who may be discouraged at the detachment or who don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is commissioning, like you guys were just talking about, what advice would you give to those people?
3: Well, I think it's normal, uh, just in any career or anything that you're going after to to lose motivation here and there. But this is where our, um, our captain at the time in ROTC says, hey, like, hey what you got to do is embrace discipline. Remember that?
2: Oh God. Yeah. yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So motivation, it, it comes and goes, but discipline is consistent. So if you have that discipline and keep at it, keep the big picture in mind of why you're doing this Think I think you will get through it.
2: Yeah. And, and one thing I've learned, um, even from my, my current squadron commander is you're not gonna have a good day every single day. Like you're not gonna be on top of your game every single time you show up to lead lab, every time you show up to PT, you're gonna have bad days. Sometimes you're gonna feel like you have more bad days than you have good days. But um, like Captain Caballero said, the, as long as you have the discipline to keep charging forward, regardless of how you currently feel, um, that feeling is a temporary state. Another thing that our captain always told us, pain is a temporary state of mind, right? It's only gonna last however long you let it last. So if you have the discipline to keep driving forward and keep driving past your lack of motivation, you'll find it. You'll find another reason to to keep going forward. I think that's what happened with us um, when we found out we didn't make field training the first time. We took the summer um, reevaluated our lives, I think we lost all of our motivation over the summer, um, maybe even into part of the fall semester and for me at least. Um, yeah. Eventually we found the fire and we found the the want to still be there. Um, and it it just hits you eventually. You just gotta keep having that discipline to keep driving.
3: Nailed so. it.
0: After the break, we'll be diving into their careers and leadership skills. Welcome back, AOT and listeners. We are going to pick up where we left off. So question for both of you we kind of were transitioning into the career portion of this podcast, and you both mentioned that you need to keep your eyes on commissioning, and that's very important to keep up motivation. Um, after you commissioned, did your motivation or work ethic change in any way, and how?
3: I would say when I was a cadet, I was, it's it was more about surviving, but when I commissioned, I learned these little things that you do can make you thrive for example uh just sending a follow-up email or (laughs) a follow-up email goes a long way or and definitely um being able to elaborate the purpose of why you want to go a certain direction versus um well we're doing this because i said so right i try to lead more through how i act and in my workspace versus, hey, look at me, I got a degree to my troops. <laughs> but <laughs> it's all about how you h- how you hold yourself when you're
0: around your folks. Right, right. Captain Gent, how about you?
2: Yeah, I, I think Captain Calero hit it pretty squarely on the head. Um, it was kind of the same thing for me. My work ethic didn't necessarily Go up or down, I think it just changed from less about doing things for myself to to get myself farther along and more about taking care of other people um, and making sure that my team succeeds, taking the time out of your day to actually get to know people, getting to know what motivates people and what their lives are about and and, um, what's important to them. I think, I guess, the reasons for my motivation changed rather than my motivation itself.
3: I'm really impressed by your answers, Jade.
1: Well, thanks. I <laughs> I just wanted to um, actually ask Captain Caballero. So I know that you mentioned that, like, it's like the little things about, like, sending up a follow-up email and stuff like that can, like, really help. Do you have any others that you've, like, learned to do?
3: Uh, get into the regs. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. I think commissioning programs, they teach you about Air Force culture, but they don't actually teach you how to Air Force and all the processes that comes along with your job. So whatever AFSC you have, there is a 101 version on the Air Force portal, and you can just Google it too. For example, um, I'm a 21 Alpha, which is aircraft maintenance. Look up AFI 21101. Or if you're security forces, 31 Papa, look up 31 101, and then from there, hey, look look into the processes of your job, and from there you can get basic responsibility of what you're supposed to do. In my tech school, what they teach you is the AFI 101, so you would have a good idea of what you're going into.
0: Okay, so next we're going to actually move into the career-career aspect of this podcast. Could you both walk us through a day in the life at your career or at your AFSC position?
3: You got it, Jade. Okay, I'll go first.
2: I've recently transitioned from being less of a worker bee, getting my hands dirty with the guys, and more of that flight chief paper-pushing role. I'm actually filling a GS-14s role right now. Um, And a GS-14 for you guys is a Lieutenant Colonel equivalent, which means my day-to-day is a lot of interfacing with my people, um, putting out fires, thankfully not literally, dealing with contractors, all talking to my people. It sounds really boring and it kind of is, but it's, it's one of those like necessary evils I would say that my time as a lieutenant was way more fun than my time now. And I think Captain Caballero is emphatically agreeing with me. I'd say being a first lieutenant was probably the best as far as day-to-day went. I got to actually like be with my troops and do what they were doing and turn some wrenches and get into the weeds with them. But now I'm kind of like that supervisory role. So I have to take a lot of step backs or steps back which is okay because I have lieutenants of my own and now I'm shoving them um, into those roles that I enjoyed when I was a lieutenant. I hang out with my squadron commander most days than not because he's always asking me questions and I go to meetings for him and with him and um, yeah.
0: What's the best advice that you would have for someone on the position that you just, um, that you just took over? So a paper pusher? What's the best advice that you could give to someone um, for that kind of leadership? Because it's a lot different than what you were doing as a first lieutenant and a second lieutenant. And you said you're doing the job of a lieutenant colonel.
2: I would say lean on your people because the people are how the job gets done. I have soon to be about 30 something folks under me, both civilian and military. And I could not do each of their jobs individually. So it's really about, and and this is the hardest part about transitioning from being a Lieutenant um, who's allowed to be in the weeds a little bit and be one of the guys and and really learn about their career field and the career fields that they are leading to being an actual like flight chief kind of leadership kind of role. Uh, The hardest part really is taking that step back and understanding that you're not gonna know everything but you can expect that your people know everything. Hold them accountable, of course, but lean on them and expect them to do good work for you and in turn, take care of them.
3: You owe it to your folks to be a good officer.
0: What is some advice you would give on, you were saying this earlier, about having to write packages for people below you. What advice would you give on how to write good packages and represent your people for the work that they've done, if that makes sense.
3: Uh, So you're going to have these things called murder boards. That's um, (laughs) your senior NCOs getting all the packages that you guys wrote together, and you're going to decide what you push up. It's typically just senior NCOs to the room. But if you say, hey, I need more exposure to this. Can I join you guys? Um, that, That was how I feel like I got really good at making packages, uh, writing with your senior NCOs, just do, doing things with your senior NCOs in general, I think you will find whatever career field you go to. Uh, NCOs and senior NCOs run the Air Force. They run
0: the Air Force. We've heard that a lot on past podcasts. <laughs> I think every single officer that we've had on has stressed the importance of having a good relationship with your senior NCOs. Mm-hmm. And so... I can only imagine that it has to be super, super important just due to how many times it's come up on every single podcast.
3: Yeah, so whatever career field you're going into, you're, you're going to eventually learn how to do, but I think fostering relationships up and down the chain, that is one of the best things you can do and it's going to pay in dividends. All
1: right, um, speaking about the senior NCOs, Do you guys have any pointers on how to build relationships with them?
3: Yes, don't come into your workspace first day on the job saying, hey, I'm the lieutenant, I run this show. (laughs) Get to know them, get to know how things are ran. And then from there, you can go forth.
0: (laughs) Is that a mistake you see a lot? A lot of lieutenants coming in thinking they're entitled almost?
3: Yes, and you will be quickly put in your place. And you would be surprised how many lieutenants don't get that advice. That's the advice I got um, before going into into my career field. Hey, um, stick onto that senior, senior NCO, right? Like, learn the processes, all that good stuff. But I just don't know why every other second lieutenant didn't do that. <laughs> it, it got me a long way. <laughs>
0: What is some advice that you might have, both of you might have, if I'm going to see my senior NCO or my NCOs um, for the first time, my first meeting with them, What is a con- how should the conversation go?
2: I honestly say just keep it, keep it casual, but keep it professional. They're, they're just people, right? Just like right. lieutenant colonels are just people. Um, treat them like people. You're not there to be their friend. You're not there to be their bro, but at the same time, you understand and should recognize the fact that you are a second lieutenant and they know better than you probably will that you know nothing. So approach the conversation from from a place of common sense and that that level of humility that comes with the fact that you're new to the career field and they're not. Um, just because you have the bars um, on your shoulders or just because you have the bars on doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything. It just means that you get the lovely task of making the hard decisions.
0: That's a new way that I've heard that said, and I do agree. So last thing to talk about, we mentioned this earlier, any funny stories? Um,
3: (laughs) Um, Yes, I I thought of an appropriate one. So um, I was, I was, I don't know why I did it in the first place. I didn't need to, but I wanted to clean our conference room, our squadron conference room, but whatever wipe I used for the table took away the shine of the table. And I was like, oh man, I was a first lieutenant. That's my excuse. <laughs> um, so I Googled how to restore shine on, on wood, and the first thing was mayo. So I cleaned the conference room <laughs> table with mayo, and it smelled like Subway in there for a week. <laughs> so that was fun, being, being in meetings in there every day. But all you smell is like a Subway sandwich. <laughs> Did anyone oh else God. know? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Did it work? Yes, it worked. Table looks good.
0: (laughs) I guess that's all that matters, right? The end result.
3: (laughs) Oh, speaking of end result, tell your people what to do, but not how to do it. You will be surprised at the creative ways they do things to achieve the result you wanted.
0: Bam.
2: (laughs) Really good advice.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Coupled with a very funny story too. Perfect. <laughs> How about you, ma'am? I still
2: remember the time you did that. Um, so I actually have a funny deployment story. When I was at, at Bagram in Afghanistan, I was in charge of local national construction projects. So they're construction projects run by um, local Afghani contractors. And we had what's called force protection folks guarding the construction site and watching these local nationals to make sure that one, they were safe, and two, that we were safe. Well, one day I get a call over the radio asking me to go visit one of my job sites. Well, my force protection officer shows me this thing that kind of looks like a makeshift shank, I think is what the MPs. Called it. So it looked like a piece of metal that had been ground and and scraped up to kind of make this like jail looking prison looking shift. It freaked me out a little bit, but eventually I had to report it to the provost marshal office, which is the army security forces office, because the army was in charge of the base outside of the airfield. Air force was in charge of the base inside of the airfield. So I had to report it to the army um military police and they called me later that evening after dinner and asked me to come down to the station my squadron commander at the time happened to be in our office just hanging out with us and so I looked at him and said um sir I have to go down to PMO I just thought I'd let you know and he goes what the crap for um and so I told him and he goes okay I'll go with you wasn't upset by this at all But he was close friends with my squadron commander back home. So he said, I can't believe I have to take Landon, which was my squadron commander's first name. Um, I can't believe I have to take Colonel Phillips's star CGO down to the PMO office in the middle of the night because it was nine o'clock at this point, nine o'clock at night. And so I told him, oh, my gosh, that would be so funny if he found out that you had to take me to PMO. So we texted my squadron commander in the middle of the night, and my deployment squadron commander texted my home station squadron commander and said, Do you mind explaining to me why I had to pick up your star CGO from the provost marshal's office at 9 p.m. at night? Apparently, my squadron commander back home was at a conference. And had to scramble out of his seat, out of the conference, to call my squadron commander on deployment and was babbling on about, oh my gosh, I swear, she's a good CGO, I don't know what the heck happened. And so my squadron commander on deployment explained to him what actually happened and he, my squadron commander back home gave me crap for it for a good month after I came back from deployment for pulling that prank in the middle of the day for him. That was probably one of the worst pranks I've ever pulled on my leadership.
0: (laughs) Did he think it was funny in the moment or was he frustrated that he got pulled out of that conference? He
2: thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So it (laughs) it was probably one of the best pranks I've pulled on my squadron leadership. And now it follows me. So all of his friends that are current squadron commanders know about the story. So my current squadron commander knows the story.
0: So you can't get away with it again. I
2: can't get away with it again.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The story's going to
0: follow her forever.
3: It
2: probably will. It was worth it.
0: I feel like that's the point of it.
3: So worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to create stories of my own like that. Thank you both for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. We know that you're both in completely different time zones, so you guys had to go out of your way and join the podcast and give us some info but we really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to do this um, thanks
3: for asking us to be here yeah it
0: was fun anytime but thank you all for tuning in to sound off leadership lessons with the Airmen of troy you can check us out on our youtube insta and our website at airmenoftroy.org. we hope everyone enjoyed listening as much as we did and remember to sound off and fight on